Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to be back together. Glad you could make it this morning. Welcome to everybody who's on the internet this morning also. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the blessings you have given us. We thank you that your Son went to the cross and died for our sins. We thank you that whenever somebody believes in your Son, you declare him to be righteous in your eyes forever, and that person is given eternal life. Father, today we would pray that we would be able to participate fully in this service, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct our thoughts, that we would have the ability to concentrate and to receive exactly what it is that you've provided for us today in your word. And we uh, ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. You guys are the uh, front line here. Come hell or high water, most of you guys are here all the time. And it's lovely to see. So thank you for being here today, uh, opening up again at the church. A couple of announcements this morning. Next Sunday is uh, the first Sunday of September. And so we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together that time next Sunday. This month we've been featuring Chosen People Ministries, an organization that um, preaches the gospel to the Jewish people. In this time of COVID-19, they're affected by that just like uh, everybody else, and they're asking for specific prayers. They're praying for young people because apparently, like everywhere else in Israel, they're not following the guidelines for COVID-19. So let's pray for that to happen. Um, Pray that the gospel continues to go forth in power. And also, particularly for the staff in Tel Aviv and Ramat Gan, um, they, they were asking for health and safety to pray for that, for find them finding ways to minister to people, different ways online, face-to-face, mask-to-mask. I love mask-to-mask. Unity and uh, creativity in their efforts. And uh, they're doing Zoom Bible studies, so we pray for the success of that as well. Every month, at the end of the month, Late Lighthouse Bible Church does give a donation to the missionary organization that we feature. If you'd like to join in on that, you're welcome to do so. Um, you can give any of the ways that we normally allow people to give, and that would be on the internet, by mail, and in the box in the back. Um, it, just be sure you make a note that the donation is, is to be directed towards Chosen People Ministries, great organization. All right, let's begin. Oh, one other thing. I do want to mention the um, homeless ministry of the Dungans. They continue to have needs, food, finances, Bibles, blankets. Um, so please, we, I just encourage you to be a part of that. We don't uh, all have the gift of doing what they're doing because they go right out into the homeless community. Uh, it's a pretty courageous thing to do these days with COVID-19. And uh, they witness, they evangelize. They also serve the people. They try to find them places to stay give them clothes and that sort of thing, give them a Bible. So um, please keep them in prayer, but also please think about ways in which you can, you know, contribute in a a very practical way as well. All righty, let's begin. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. The title of today's message is Grace and Mercy to the Chief of Sinners. Grace and mercy to the chief of sinners. Now, our new American standard doesn't use the expression chief of sinners, but I think it's the best way to put it, that he's the chief, the, 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 the one, the, the absolute worst sinner who ever lived. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though... I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example 
for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Well, of course, this passage follows where we ended up last week in 1 Timothy 1.11. So if you could just look back one verse, we'll pick up from there this morning. But we saw at the end of the service last week that Paul is talking about the glorious gospel. Notice, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he, he's at the end of this last passage, he's looking at the fact that the, the answer to all the false teaching and the answer to the people that he's talking about for whom the law was given, the unbelieving people, lawless people, disobedient people, he understands that the answer to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he reflects on the fact that, that he has been, he's the one who's been entrusted with bringing this good news to all kinds of people. And then that, that makes him realize something. And we're going to see what that's all about this morning. First here, in verse 11, he realizes that God and Christ have entrusted this unbelievable gift, this treasure, the gospel to him. And all of a sudden, the immensity of what God has done hits him like a ton of bricks. And it drives him to his knees with gratitude. Notice verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. He has strengthened me. He has given thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he's the one who strengthened Paul. He's the one who counted him, Paul, as faithful and appointed him as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's overwhelmed by this. He's just moved so much by that. And he's moved by the power of God at work in his life for him to accomplish the calling. Please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 26. Colossians 1, verse 26. Paul knew that everything he had, every ounce of strength to which he dedicated his calling, wherever he was, whatever he faced, all the doubts that perhaps came up, or or at least all the memories. You know, he's a human being. So when he was going out and preaching the gospel, you have to believe, and we see it from the Bible, that again and again he went back to what he was, who he was, before he was converted and given the the great task before him. We know that because he he would talk about it. He talked about it when he was before different um, kings and leaders. He talked about it um, again in in other letters, which we're going to... See, but please turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, there it is, which mightily works within me. He knew that it was the power of God that was working that allowed him to overcome what he overcame, to allow him to be bold in proclaiming the gospel, to be bold in prayer, to be able to make those long hazardous journeys throughout the Roman Empire. He knew how that was happening. It was not his own power, but the power of the Lord. And it's the same thing about us. Whoever you are, whoever I am, whoever we are in Christ, and that means different situations, that means different callings, different gifts, and also what we do together. All of that, we are all of that for one reason, because of the Lord's enabling power. It's the Lord's power and his grace That allows us to do whatever we do in the Christian life. As Christ said to the disciples, without me, you can do nothing. And Paul, among all all Christians, realized this. He realized this. Please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians 4, 13. Right off the bat, we're going to a bunch of Bible verses today. So you can see again that Paul really highlighted the fact that it was God's power, the Lord's power, that allowed him to do what he did. Look at first, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Whoever you are, and you're, and you're calling from the Lord, whatever you're able to do, accomplish, be it teaching or giving or helping or evangelizing, whatever it is, realize that when, when you're doing that, it's only by the power of God that you're doing it. It's not your own power. That's how people get burned out. And they think that they got to do it all themselves. But when you understand that you're being lifted up and enabled by the power of God that strengthens you, 
now you can relax and just step into whatever it is that the Lord has for you to do with the confidence. Not only the confidence that he's placed you there, but that he's given you everything you need to be effective in the way he wants you to be effective. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Very popular passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. And in context, the all things were going through prosperity and adversity, good times and terrible times, lots of suffering, lots of fruit. And he could do all of that one way, through Christ who strengthens him. It was a theme of Paul's again and again and again, that the power didn't come from himself, that he was weak. But when he was weak, he was actually strong because God's power is perfected in his weakness. So even when we're weak, even when we think, how am I going to do this this morning? Still, the, the answer is, when you're weak, he's strong. Relax. Human nature is to, is to be appalled at our weaknesses. We don't want to think about them. We don't want to talk about them. We wish they weren't there. We want to change the subject. But Paul saw it the opposite way. He realized that, hey, I am a weak person. You know, he's, he's just going to call himself again. We saw it already this morning. The chief of sinners. Now, now how was the chief of sinners, as the chief, right, going to go around throughout the Roman Empire and tell everybody about Jesus Christ? You see, one way, by the Lord intervening in his life in a dramatic way and then empowering him with the calling. That's the first thing. That's why, you know, it's so important for us to understand, who am I? What has the Lord called me to do? Not to look at other people and say, I wish I were them or I'm supposed to be that, but to understand yourself and the Lord's calling on you. It's so important. Why? Because it gives you the confidence. You know, you're not there on your own account. You're not, you didn't make the decision. God did. And that gives you confidence. And then you combine that with the power of God at work. And you're literally unstoppable in God's plan. As long as you keep in mind that the results are up to him. That again, if you try to then jump out of the, the, the situation, the mindset, the relaxation, the confidence, and then you try to make your own results, you're going to fall flat on your face because the results are up to him too. The whole thing is. And so we can relax, step, you know, the Lord said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what he meant. He meant you go forward, you do what I tell you to do. You understand you've been empowered. You see the people you call to serve, serve them. Understanding that there'll be times when you don't feel like you're up to it, There'll be times when you may be a little intimidated by the situation. Relax. It's okay. He goes before us. He gives us all that we need in order to succeed. All right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my gosh, Paul's calling was mighty. Think about it. His calling, it was on his shoulders. I mean, if you read the book of Acts, right, from from chapter 9 forward, if, if you read his epistles and you see that again and again and again, It's he who goes to a new geographic location. He goes and he confronts often the Jewish people in that location. Some believed, many did not. Always creating controversies. He was in Ephesus. And all of a sudden, the people started to realize that if enough people started believing what Paul was teaching, then they would no longer be all these people worshiping the false god where they made a lot of money. And that that got them furious at Paul. And again and again, he faced those kind of things. But it was a mighty calling in every respect. If, if the obstacles are many, the power will be many. many. Even greater than, much more than whatever it is we're facing. So, so he was thankful about all of that. I think, look, Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 again. Let's see what he says. He thinks about the glorious gospel. The gospel that... Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. The gospel of the death of Christ is the answer for all your sins. And his resurrection from the dead points you to where you'll be headed when you believe in him. Eternal life. He said, I've been the one that's been entrusted with this amazing message. He knew it was a life-changing message for whoever heard it and believed it. That the, that the, that the, that the, the stakes were eternal in nature. And he understood that, that the battle, you know, he more than anybody else understood the battle he's described in Ephesians 6. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Now, again, when, when you think you're battling just against flesh and blood, you figure, well, you know what? My flesh and blood can take their flesh and blood. But when you realize that you're actually battling the powers, the angels, the fallen angels, the invisible enemy you cannot see, you realize that I don't have a, I don't have a prayer by my. Well, that's all I have by myself is a prayer. I'm not going to do it by myself. There's no possible way. It's like, again, if you think that you're, you're going to catch an airplane, I've given this illustration before, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but it's pretty good. If you think you're, like, you're going to catch an airplane, and you know it's leaving at 10.30, and right now it's quarter of 10, you're going to muster up all your ability, you're going to go through yellow lights, maybe even an occasional red one, you're going to try to get through security as fast as you can, you're sweating, you're panicking. However, if the flight leaves at 10.30, and it's 10.45... Nothing you can do, right? It's, it's, it's just the less the situation. Then you have to rely on the Lord to get you another flight. You see, well, Paul was in those situations again and again and again because he understood that I'm no match for what I'm up against. But he is, that his power, his strength is going to be victorious. Jesus Christ had victory over every enemy of God on the cross. And now we know that we've died with him and that we were raised with him. And so that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in us. And therefore, no matter what we face, we can do it. We can do it. And Paul was so thankful that this was going on with his life. He was so thankful. He couldn't even believe, actually, the, the fact that God would bless him and give him this responsibility. And that's what happens in verse 12 again. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful. He put me into service. He was so thankful that the Lord had counted him of all people faithful, trustworthy. And then just like that, he was overcome with something else. He was overcome with the sense of being completely unworthy of the Lord's trust. He knew he had it. He understood that the Lord trusted him to take that precious gift of the gospel across, you know, to to Galatia and the provinces of Asia and Macedonia and Greece. All of that, he knew he'd been given the, the calling to do that. He had the mantle of an apostle. He knew all of that. And yet, all of a sudden, it hit him. I'm completely unworthy for the Lord's trust. I don't know how he possibly got around to the fact that he would pick me of all people. Notice what he says in verse 13. It's the key. Even though he considered me faithful, even though. And that's just a, that's a turn. He's turning away from looking at the fact that God had called him to the fact of something else. He says what? Even though I was formerly, I used to be a blasphemer. Blasphemer is somebody who curses God in some way. A persecutor. He persecuted God's people. Now think about it. God's going to entrust him with going out and and basically creating, not creating, but responsibility for having people believe the gospel and become Christians. And yet he knew, he's like, you you trust me to do that? Last year you knew I was killing Christians. Now you're asking me to get a whole bunch of new ones. How can you trust me to do that? You see, he just couldn't believe it. He was a violent aggressor. I don't know about you, but if I were the Lord and I had a mission for somebody to go out and meet a lot, a lot of people and tell them about me and preach the good news, I don't think I would choose a violent aggressor to do that. It doesn't seem like good public relations, if you know what I'm saying. But he did. He can't believe it. His mind then flashed back to when the Lord called him the first time. He thought about the fact that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor at the moment when the Lord called him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the Lord made us alive. God justifies the ungodly. This is the message of the gospel. This is the gospel Jesus Christ said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And he said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. That's the message of the gospel. And so, who better in God's way of seeing things to send out there and 
to have the people learn about the grace and mercy of God than the one who had been graced out and shown more mercy than any other person who ever lived. That's God's way of doing things. His mind flashed back, though, to when the Lord called him and who he was. Well, who was he? Who exactly was this man that the Lord put into this great service? Well, he, has, he had a name. His name at the time was Saul of Tarsus. That was his name. The very mention of his name at that time among the Christian community sent shudders down their spines. Saul of Tarsus. He was the one who was going to come and wipe out people. It would be almost like today, if somebody was in the Middle East, not today, but a couple of years ago, and they heard that a gentleman was there, and he was the leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi. You hear that name, and you're in a community, and you're all exposed. You're like, that's the last name I wanted to hear. That was Saul of Tarsus for the Christians. But later on, he would be known as somebody else, another name anyway, the Apostle Paul. And that's when I think about that transformation is what we're here to look about today. Who was he? Who was Saul of Tarsus? And then who did he become? Paul the Apostle. So let's go back in history, back to the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 9. Let's learn a little bit. Let's spend some time. Let's visit with Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 26, verse 9. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And truer words than that were never spoken. Let's see him in action. Acts chapter 26, verse 9. That Paul is recounting this. He is on trial. He's trying to convince the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders at that time, that he was there because of the calling that the Lord had, and it was something that he was on trial for because he believed in the resurrection. And he's, one, he's going to tell them the same story. He would tell this story again and again. He would write it in 1 Corinthians. He talked about it in Galatians. It wasn't a secret. He let everybody know about this because he understood that it really wasn't him that he was talking about so much as the power and the grace of God. That, he was, that, he, that was highlighted through who he had been. Notice verse 9. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's clear now on who he was attacking ultimately. He thought to himself, notice that his thinking, his perception of things, he really was convinced that he had to, he was driven to do this because he was zealous, because he thought he was serving the Lord of Israel. I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth because he understood that if Jesus of Nazareth is who he says he is, that was the end of that whole system that he had brought, been brought up into. The whole Pharisaic system, the whole law, all those things, that was gone if Jesus is who he says he is. And he couldn't, he couldn't at all comprehend that. He said, that, that cannot be. I must snuff this out. And he got permission from the high priest to do exactly that. They were all for it. For the same reason. Because they were the ones that ran the system. And if the system was torn down, they were out of, they were out of power. They, nobody would listen to him anymore and so forth. Which is exactly what happened, ultimately. And this, verse 10, is just what I did in Jerusalem. Notice what he did. I, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons... How many of you have done that? How many of you have gone right into a church, had some police with you, and say, these people are blaspheming the Lord God of Israel. Lock them up in chains. Take them out of here. Who's done that? Anybody want to put your hand up this morning? Yeah, you see, he was a bad you-know-what. He he, nobody wanted to hear the name Saul of Tarsus. Why? He would lock you up in prison. That's who he was. He was a persecutor. He was violent. He was a hater. I, would lock, I locked up many of the saints in prisons. Picture this again and again. This guy comes on the scene and it's like, you know, like everyone tries to scatter. And, and think of the numbers of people whose lives were ruined by this man. Having received authority from the chief priests. And that's interesting because when he was doing this, he got his authority from man. 
When he became the apostle Paul, he got authority from God's son. But right now, he thought the best thing was to have authority of the chief priests on his side. But also when they were being put to death, not only did he put them in prison, but he supervised their deaths. That's this man. No wonder he said, I'm the chief of sinners. The, the, the thing about it was, is he was doing, these are horrible things to do to anybody. But it was infinitely more horrible that he was doing it to the Lord's church. That in effect, he was, as he said, I have to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He went out of his way to blaspheme the name of Jesus of Nazareth. To do everything he could to besmirch that name. To persecute anybody who claimed the Jesus as their Lord. He went out of his way. And, and, and if you, if, if, when you understand that, ultimately you sin against God. And now you have a person who's doing everything in his life. Hostile to the name of God's son. Now you begin to realize, you know what? Maybe, maybe Paul was right when he called Saul of Tarsus the worst sinner who ever lived. The chief of sinners. But also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was the deciding vote and I said, you're dying. That's what he did. It was like the Romans in the Colosseum after a battle and they went like this to somebody. And the next moment that person's head was cut off. And as I punished them often, in all the synagogues, because Christians met in synagogues in the early days, I tried to force them to blaspheme. Think about it. He tried to force them to say the one thing they would never say. He would talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he said, anybody who says Jesus is accursed doesn't do so by the Spirit, but by the devil. And he wanted them to say that. He said, I tried to force them at spear point, at, at, at swords being leveled at their throats, you will now blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus. He was a terrorist. He, he was a fascist, if you will. He tried to force everybody to do what he wanted them to do. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged, all his whole being, he was filled with hatred and rage against all things Jesus. Being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. It wasn't bad enough that he was doing this to the Christians in Judea. He then got permission to go outside the country and do it over there too. See, what happened was, was after, the, after Stephen was stoned, he was the first modern Christians. Paul was there that day, by the way. And people, as they were stoning him, was lay, were laying their cloaks by the feet of Saul of Tarsus. They recognized he was behind it. And what happened was there was a great persecution right at that moment. And lots of Christians left. They went to other countries because they couldn't. They, the persecution was so severe in Jerusalem and Judea. And Paul says, I'm not going to let him get away with that. I'm going after him. I'm going to get a posse. We're going to go there. I'm going to get more letters from the chief priests. And I'm going to hunt him down in other countries. That's how much he hated the name of Jesus. So clearly he was right when he said that that Saul was a persecutor and a violent aggressor. All right. Go back to 1 Timothy just for a second. I want you to see something in verse 13. 1 Timothy 1.13. We're going to continue in Acts in a moment. But let's go back quickly to 1 Timothy 1.13. Notice how he puts this. Even though I formerly blasphemed and I persecuted people and I was violent. Is that what that says? I formerly blasphemed. I used to persecute people and I was violent. Does it say that? No, what does it say? I was formerly a blasphemer. His very identity. Now that should, that should trigger what we were talking about last week. You see, when he talked about those for whom the law was made, he didn't talk about them committing sins. He talked about who they were. You are a lawless person. Well, he then he, now he looks at himself. And he looks at Saul of Tarsus. And he realizes that all the things I was talking about by all the people I described as horrible as they were, people who killed their mothers and fathers, people who were the worst kind of sexual perverts, were, kidnappers, People who put people into slavery. And he's saying now as worse as they were. I was worse than them. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. Everything about me screamed persecute the Christians. I was a violent aggressor. 
He's talking about not what he did, but who he was. He talked about who he was as a person, not what he did. And by the way, that's a key thing for us to keep in mind, especially when we're evangelizing. Why? Because so often we want to focus on people's sins not, and, and not focus on the fact of their situation. They're sinners and they're dead in their sins. What do you think sinners do without any restraint? Any guess? Sin, right. But, it's, but you gotta, don't put the cart before the horse. You see, they were born sinners. They were born in Adam. Of course they're going to commit those sins, but that's not the issue. The issue is that they had to fundamentally change, be changed from who they were to who they are going to be. Just like Paul said. Some, he says, you know, these people are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Some had some of a similar list in 1 Corinthians 6, as we saw last week here. He, he rattles off, you know, the, the same kind of things. Murderers, drunkards, blasphemers, all that kind of stuff. And then he, then he turns to the Christians that he's writing to and he says, Such were some of you. That's the gospel. You were that. You're not that any longer. In God's eyes, you have been perfected for all time through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now that's good news. Why? Because it's one thing to think, I'm going to stop a bad habit. But it's another another thing to realize that, no, it isn't about the sins, it's about me. My very nature, that's the problem here. And so I need the solution to that. No self-help program is going to turn you from a sinner to a saint. Um, no, nothing, no psychological treatments, no willpower, none of that can change who you are. They maybe change a little bit what you do. But the issue is, who were you? Who are the unbelievers? And when you understand that, you understand that we're here to offer them the one thing that will turn them from a sinner to a saint which is the good news of Jesus Christ died for your sins. God, God judged sin itself in the body of Jesus Christ. And he's your answer. And as a matter of fact, the moment you believe in him, you will no longer be called a sinner by God. You realize that? We call people sinners. Oh, I'm a lousy sinner. We kind of throw that word around. But let me tell you something. If you're a believer in Christ, you are not a sinner. Why? Because that's, I'm not saying you don't commit sins, because we all do. But you're no longer in that category according to God. He's moved you from that category to saint. Because that's how he sees you. And after all, that matters a lot more than how you see yourself if you're not educated to the word. Or how others see you. And Paul, Paul realized this. Yes, the law was made for the lawless, the ungodly, the sinners. And he was the worst. Paul was a violent person. He was a persecutor. And unbeknownst to him, all these things he was doing, all these things that he thought he was doing in the name of the God of Israel, against the name of Jesus, little did he know that what he was doing was really in opposition to the God of Israel. And when he sees that, everything changes about his life. And so now Paul remembers the first time he met the Lord. Please turn to Acts. Oops, that's the wrong one. Hold on a second. It's Acts chapter 9. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 9 now, starting in verse 1. We're going back with Paul again. Going to go back now to the beginning of this story for him with Christ. The time he first met the Lord. He was now, remember, he was now done with his work, quotes, in Israel and moving on to, to another country, Syria. He was on his way to Damascus, Syria, walking that dusty road. Notice verse, verse 1 of chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women. Think about it now. I mean, a lot of times, you know, invading armies will, do, will try to <laughs> kill the men. 
But he didn't care. Even if you were a woman, a child for that matter. If you were following the Lord Jesus Christ, you were fair game. And he was going after the women, persecuting them and being violent towards them. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He arrested them, bringing them back to trial in Jerusalem. And as he was on his way, as he was traveling, it happened that he he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly, light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A light from heaven flashes. He knows knows it's the Lord. There's a supernatural thing that's happening. He might have been excited. If you think about it, he might be saying, oh, look, the Lord's about to put this stamp of approval on me. I'm on my way to Damascus. How zealous I am for the Lord God of Israel. Here he is. But what does he do? He says, Saul, Saul. And of course, even at that point, Saul was thinking, yes, tell me how good I am. Mirror, mirror. No. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then scales fell from his eyes. The veil was lifted from the eyes of Paul. And even he didn't understand what he was saying at this point. He was shocked. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. And then that name reverberated in his heart, just just like his name reverberated in the hearts of the Christians. He realized, oh boy. Here I am trying to persecute and put down anything related to the name of Jesus. And now I see that he is the Lord God of Israel. And that changed everything for Paul. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice that Paul, the last thing on his mind that he was persecuting the Lord God of Israel, he thought he was persecuting these renegades that had pulled out of Judaism into their own cult. But little did he know, he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. The Lord had to be tough and firm with this guy. Among anybody else, he says, look, I'm better than you are, and I'm going to tell you what to do from now on, Paul. And Paul never, never got over this. He never got over the fact that that person that we just spent some time with, Saul of Tarsus, ultimately the Lord would choose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Can you picture that? I mean, we talk about how Peter must have felt when after he betrayed the Lord three times and then Jesus rises from the dead and he has that first encounter. But how about Paul? How about Paul realizing that he persecuted, he was hostile to everything associated with the name of Jesus. That wasn't Peter. This was far, far worse. And yet, <laughs> and yet, once the Lord confronted him, once he realizes and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord God of Israel, now his, his zeal would be turned in a new direction. Now he, he never got over the fact that Jesus, the Lord, chose him to be the one who would carry his message to the world. Him of all people. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Ephesians 3, 8. Never got over it. When he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 8, this wonderful chapter on the mystery that he was revealing, think about it. He... This one who had persecuted Christians was given the amazing gift of being the first to see the mystery involved with Jesus Christ, that the Gentiles were part of the body and that Christ was in them. He was the one that had his eyes open to that, just like his eyes were open to the fact that he was persecuting the Lord. To me, this is how he starts it, though. To me, the very least of all saints. See it? This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's what grace can do. Grace can take the worst and assign him to the best. And that's exactly what the Lord did. He could have chosen anybody. If you think about it, 
you know, who would we choose? Who would you have thought deserved to be having this amazing gift given to him? To be the one that was revealed, had mysteries revealed to him. Of all people, you might have think that should be Peter. After all, he walked with the Lord here on earth. Or maybe Philip. Or maybe anybody but Saul of Tarsus. And yet God's wisdom was greater. Because he understood again that the one who knew how wretched he was would be the best one to be preaching the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. But But in verse 13, he said, Who am I that anyone would consider me trustworthy in any way? He, he realized that he had done all kinds of things to make himself untrustworthy. He was the great example of an arrogant, blind Jewish Pharisee. When Paul, as he later would in Romans chapter uh, 10, when he described unbelieving Israel, he was describing who he once was. Please turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 2. Romans chapter 10, verse 2. In other words, Saul of Tarsus was the most credible witness in the world. Because if this one, who hated the name of Jesus, one day is out preaching that Jesus is Lord the next, there is not a more credible witness in this world than him. Even though people couldn't understand it. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 2. For I testify testify about them, unbelieving Israel. That they have a zeal for God. Paul had a zeal for God. But what was the problem? Not in accordance with knowledge. He was ignorant of the truth about Jesus. For not knowing about God's righteousness. That was part of what Paul preached. That you are justified by faith, not by works. They didn't know that. And instead they sought to establish their own righteousness. So did Paul. He saw himself as blameless according to the law. He sought to be righteous on his own merits. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Zeal was the perfect word to describe how Saul went about persecuting the church. He was murderous, dripping with vengeance. He cursed. He was filled with rage, the worst kind of rage, the kind that pours out of a man who sees himself as the defender of all that is good and holy and sees his enemies as the devil incarnate. That's the most dangerous person in the world. And he was that. And he did all of this to Christ because he did it to Christ's brothers and sisters. And then you think about it. How could a just God not have obliterated, wiped out, destroyed such a man from the face of the earth? That'll make you humble in a hurry when you realize that that's what he should have done to me. It's the same thing that Moses realized. You know, after, after the people had created great sins, he says, the Lord wants to wipe these people out. And I get it. I understand it. David, after he committed horrible sins, sins that would, under the law, be, take the death penalty. And yet the Lord didn't. He spared him. Can you understand how when, when that somebody has really come in touch with the mercy of God, with the grace of God, with the forgiveness of God. And that one has been now reshaped into a person who understands that grace of God because he is a living embodiment of the grace of God. So was Paul. See, he thought God had his rights to just destroy me, obliterate me, wipe me out from the face of the earth. Yet, he did the exact opposite. Why? Well, for one thing, the Lord knew that Paul and Saul had acted out of ignorance. He really thought he was doing the Lord's work by persecuting the church. What's the issue? What's the issue for the unbeliever? You know what it is? Blindness. They had no idea about their real state and who Jesus really was, just like Saul of Tarsus. He thought that the church were the blasphemers, even though... He was. All right, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Let's see how Paul puts it. First Timothy 1, 15. 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. When Paul says that to Timothy or Titus, it's time to wake up. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say. This is a trustworthy statement. This deserves full acceptance. What? The gospel. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the good news. You're a sinner. There's nothing you can do about it. But God sent his son to die for your sins. So that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. God's son, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. But he added something to that. Based on where we've been this morning, he said, save sinners among whom I am the chief. I am the foremost of all. See, that's a credible witness. If the worst sinner who ever lived comes to you and says, Jesus Christ forgave all of my sins, you, you believe it, hopefully, you realize that this person, he, he, if anybody would be somebody whose sins the Lord would never forgive, it would be Saul of Tarsus. Yet he witnesses the fact that his sins were all forgiven. The most credible witness in the world. Verse 16, yet for this reason, what reason? I found mercy. The reason was so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. That's why he picked him. He certainly didn't pick him for his credentials. He certainly didn't pick him because he led led a model life. He picked him because he was the worst sinner who ever lived. And therefore, if you think about how would God show his perfect grace and mercy and patience? Answer, by the one who needed it more than anybody else. And that would be the worst sinner who ever lived. And now we say to ourselves, wow, if if God's patience was so big, if the Lord's mercy was so amazing, if his grace was so all-complete, that he could save the worst sinner who ever lived, man, there's plenty of his grace for me. There's plenty of his mercy for me. He'll be very patient with me. That's why he picked him. He couldn't have picked a better person. The Lord knew that Paul and Saul didn't know what he was doing. He was blinded by unbelief. So the Lord decided to show mercy to the worst of sinners. And in doing this, he would reveal his infinite mercy toward all lost sinners. Romans 11.32. Please turn there. We'll come back. Actually, we're going to go to another passage in Romans before we get back to 1 Timothy. I want you to see the heart of God. I want you to see the plan of God. Romans 11.32. The greatness of God. The fact that he has planned out all of human history. For one result, glorify him and his son. How does he do that? By showering his grace and mercy on the most undeserving. The most undeserving. Look at Romans 11.32. For God has shut up all in disobedience. Say that with me. God has shut up who? All in disobedience. This too is the gospel. Why? So that he may condemn everybody. No, so that he may be really tough on them and point out all their sins to them and tell them they're going to hell. No. So God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Wow. What a God. We think it's horrible that, you know what, the whole human race is shut up in disobedience. What a, that, oh, there's nothing that can be done about that. And we see that. We see the disobedience all around us. And yet, God allowed that for his purpose so that he might be able to show mercy to all. He began Romans by talking about there's none righteous, not even one. And now he talks about the fact that that's true, but I show mercy to all who fall short of my glory. After all, if he could show mercy, if he could be merciful to Saul, He could be merciful to anyone. Show mercy to all. Go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 20 as we continue. Romans 5, 20. Even though Paul was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor, he was shown mercy. 
The grace of our Lord was more than abundant, you would say. I'm not reading Romans 5.21. In fact, go back to 1 Timothy 13. Sorry about that. Before we head to Romans. Because I want, I want to set this up. 1 Timothy 1.13. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was what? More than abundant. With the faith and love, these words were foreign to Paul. Faith and love, which are found only in Christ Jesus. Where Paul should have found condemnation, he was shown mercy. Where Paul should have suffered the full penalty of the law, he instead received the abundant grace of our Lord. Now please turn to Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. I was was hoping that wasn't from the Lord and I'm hearing, John, John, be bad. Saul of Tarsus realized that he received abundant grace. Look at Romans 5.20. Shocking statement. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. What does that mean? So that people's eyes would be open. And as a matter of fact, that the law would stimulate people to rebel against it, as it did. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, where all was shown to have fallen short of the glory of God, grace abounded all the more. Grace comes on the scene and, and is, can take care of all of the increase in the transgressions and more. So that as sin used to reign in death, even so grace would now reign through righteousness to eternal life. That's the story. That's the gospel. That's your story as a believer in Jesus Christ. You were under the reign of sin and you were headed to death. But then Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. And now we are saved by grace. And that grace now reigns. It has shoved sin and death off the throne and placed Christ and the grace of God on the throne. And now you have given righteousness. You are credited, you're credited with the righteousness of God. So you're going to reign through that, declared righteous by God, all the way to where? Eternal life. By the way, another great passage that shows you can't lose your salvation, by the way. Grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel, and Paul became the model for the transforming power of the gospel. He became the model. You want to understand the grace of God? You want to understand the gospel? All you have to do is realize the difference between Saul of Tarsus and Paul the Apostle and how that happened. And you understand the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus was ignorant. He was faithless. He was a persecutor of the church. But God, in his mercy and grace, turned Saul into Paul. Like Jesus turned water into wine. Paul then, what, what about this Paul? We saw Saul already, the persecutor, the one who imprisoned prison, Christians, who, who said, gave the final vote for them to be killed and so forth. What about Paul? When Saul became Paul, what about him? Let's, let's contrast the Apostle Paul with Saul of Tarsus now. Well, Paul preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. That's, a, that's like the opposite of persecuting Christians throughout the Roman Empire. You see? Not only that, but look at your Bibles right now. Just look at them. Just in general, say, hey, here's my Bible. Paul wrote 13 of the books in that Bible. Now that's a change. Of Saul of Tarsus to one who would write 13 books in the Bible. So here's the thing. Time to make it personal. You may be here today thinking that your sins have put you beyond the reach of God's love. So many people think that. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you think that your sins have put you beyond the reach of God's love, you are misinformed. Why? Because Christ Jesus came. For you. The Lord's mercy. Think about it. If you need proof, just see the record of Paul 
the life of Saul at Tarsus, and who he became. And no matter how wicked you think you are, he was worse. He was the worst sinner imaginable, yet God was merciful to Saul. You see, you may think you're outside the ability to touch God's love, but the fact of the matter is that the Lord's mercy knows no bounds. It doesn't matter if you were the worst sinner who ever lived. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. It doesn't even matter that you think that you're too far beyond the reach of God's love. You're wrong. God's mercy, the Lord's mercy, is wider and deeper than you could possibly imagine. Jesus Christ won't give up on you. How do we know that? Because he's already shown his perfect patience with the worst sinner who ever lived. Of course he's going to have patience for you. He came into the world for such a person as you. Luke 19.10 on the board. For the Son of Man... Son of man, God came down from heaven in the, and took on a human body. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. So if you're feeling totally lost, that's actually a really good news. Why? Because that's who Jesus came to seek and save. You're in the right place at the right time because you're the one that Jesus Christ came to save. You might say, well, does that mean he just saves sinners? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he just saves sinners, but we're all sinners. But when you're lost and you know it, you're really in awe of the fact that God's son would come on down here so that he could rescue me? I think I'm outside the, the ability for God to love me, and yet he sent his only son down here, and his son died for me so that he could save me. He didn't, and he didn't just talk about grace. I'm talking about it this morning. He showed it. Romans 5.8. I'll give you a second to go there. Writers are taught early on that you don't tell people. You show people. You don't tell people this was a bad day. You show the bad day. See what I'm saying? You don't tell people that Joe loves Sally. You show how Joe loves Sally. So Jesus Christ didn't just talk about grace. He showed it. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates. Demonstrates. Doesn't talk about it. He does. But he also demonstrates what? His own love toward us. Who that, who's us? The ungodly. The worst sinner who ever lived. That's who he did it. Sinners, he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the grace of God. He showed it when he died on the cross for our sins. He showed it again with the toughest case of all, Saul of Tarsus. And therefore, God's patience and kindness are without limit for you and for all the unbelievers you're going to meet this week. God's patience and kindness are without limit. You may be tired of preaching the gospel to somebody in your life who's never been positive to it in in 10 years. And you've run out of patience. I know, that's human. Look, we're weak. Hello, that's the whole point of today's message. And yet, God's still there, and he's still being patient with them. He's still being kind with them. He's ready to let them see his mercy and his grace. So, in John 3.16, very popular passage, there's a reason why. There's a reason why Paul shows the patience of God beyond a shadow of a doubt. And any sinner, any sinner can be forgiven of all their sins and be reconciled to God forever. How? Simple. Simply believe in Christ for eternal life. You, you think you're the worst. You think you're outside the pale of God's love. You keep thinking in your mind like the prodigal son. How am I going to, all the ways I got to do to get back in his love. How do I get him to love me again? And there's nothing you can do because he's never going to not love you. He just wants you to believe in his son. Why? Because his son was the one who died. And, and by believing in his son, you're acknowledging the fact That there's nothing good that you can do. That you are totally weak. And yet, God's strong. 
And God's Son died for your sins. And when you believe in Him, it's just one more heart giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you got to do. Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. John 3.16, I know you know it. For God so, I want to hear it today. God so loved the world, all people, that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever... The worst sinner who ever lived. And certainly that, that means you're covered. Your friend is covered. Your relative is covered. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God shut up all in disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. What shall we say? What then shall we say to these things that we've seen about the immense, limitless mercy, and grace, and patience of the Lord? I'll tell you something. We cannot do any better than right now join Paul in the hymn of, to the glory of God that he presents in 1 Timothy 1, 17. So let's go there one more time. This is how we respond to the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Get ready to praise the king. Because that's the only response that really you can have to this this morning. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the message that saves. We thank you, Father, for giving us the ultimate Example that proves that anybody can be saved, and that's Saul of Tarsus. We thank you, Father, that you showed the depths of your grace and mercy, not only by saving him, but then putting him on the path where he would become the apostle to the Gentiles. The great, great calling. And that you can, you can and want to do that to each and every sinner, to, to change them completely and to turn them around and put them on a path, on your call for their life where you will provide the strength each and every day. And Father, we just ask now that you would imprint your word, the truth of the gospel on our hearts, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, so that whoever believes in Christ will never perish but have eternal life. Let that be emblazoned on our hearts, so that when we meet one of these people for whom your son died, we would be able to present the same good news that we have been able to enjoy this morning. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, Bible study on Thursday. That's when we're going to meet again on Skype. But we'll be there, 6.30. Um, anybody who needs a link, you can email mark at lbible.org. <laughs> it's that simple. Keep in mind that we, uh, of course rely on the gracious gifts of Christians to keep this ministry going. But we don't pass around the, the, the basket, all right? You know that. We want to make sure that we allow you to operate according to how God wants you to give, which is freely as a response, understanding that he has graced you out in certain ways in any week, and that if you've got the ability to do so, and you've got it in your heart to have that same gratefulness that Paul did. That's how God wants you to give. All right. And again, this is a reminder. Um, perhaps the easiest way nowadays is www.lbible.org, where you can use lots of things, credit cards, but also PayPal. I finally leaked, explained to me what PayPal, the value of it. Remember a long time ago? Not that long. And then I'm like, okay, I'll try it. It's amazing. It's just so, you feel like, you know what, I don't have to give yet another company my credit card information and then 10 minutes trying to remember it. And anyway, this is not a commercial for PayPal. But the point is, is that there are several ways you can give by the mail, by the box in the back, online. And uh, we, we covet your gifts because they represent your motivation in your heart. All right. If you have any questions today, please email me at pastor at lbible.org. If you have any friends that have questions, if there's anybody that you've witnessed to, and maybe they have a question that maybe if you can get the answer to, or maybe they want to contact me themselves, I encourage all of that. Pastor at lbible.org.
Org. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hearts of believers. We thank you, Father, that in our, in our response to your generosity, we have the opportunity to be generous to one another with our time, with our gifts, with our, cat, with our finances. We pray, Father, that we would do it all to the glory of you and your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Enjoy the day. I don't think there's any hurricanes on the horizon, so I think I said that like a native. I don't know. So hopefully the weather will keep cooperating.